0: Welcome to Wednesday Word, a Bible study led by Pastor John Jenkins of Northport Baptist Church. We'll turn over to Acts 10, and we're going to hopefully actually look at Acts 10 today. But, uh, But I do want you to understand something before we even get into Bible study today because I don't even know if you saw this because mainstream media will not report this, but uh, yesterday in the U.S. Senate, uh, there was a bill passed. It'll go back to the House because there was some changes from the House version, from the Senate version, but there was a law passed, and the title of the law is a gimmick, but it's the title of the law is the Respect for Marriage Act. Okay, what just so you know what this is, what this is, the Respect of Marriage Act, is a repeal of a law that went in place 25 years ago, roughly, the Defense of Marriage Act, okay? The Defense of Marriage Act was passed under Clinton, and Clinton was president. And basically, the Defense of Marriage Act, all it said was that marriage has to be between a male and a female, And so that's what it was. And even at the time, Bill Clinton wouldn't let homosexuals serve in the military. Okay, so all this was going on at the same time. And so that law was passed, I think it's 26 years now, but roughly 25 years ago now. Okay, Uh, now I just want you to think of the progression here. And I want you to see this because we're going to talk about something else with this. But even uh, about eight years later, when... Obama became president. He ran, and then the first four years of his presidency, he was a staunch proponent of marriage being only between a male and a female. Okay, Then his second term, when he got elected to his second term, he shifted and then started pushing that marriage could be between male, male, female, female, whatever. So, okay, so think about the progression from just a little bit less than 15 years ago, or a little bit more than 15 years ago, to where we are today and how fast that has happened. And so yesterday, basically in response to that law, but also in response to something Clarence Thomas said when they repealed Roe v. Wade, a law was passed in lame duck Congress, of course. They wouldn't do this before the vote in November. They did it after the vote because of the consequences of the vote. Uh, They passed a law with 12 Republicans signing it, or not signing, but, but doing it so they wouldn't have to pass filibuster. Where now, in the United States of America, by law, not by a ruling from the Supreme Court, but by law, marriage is no longer just male and female, the way... It was instituted and ordained by God. Marriage can now be whatever, okay? So that law went into place. Now, you've probably seen some things where there were stipulations added to protect religious freedom. Well, that's a lie, okay? That is a ball-faced lie. And yesterday, an amendment was proposed to this before it was voted to do that, but it was voted down straight party vote. So it was voted down 49-48. And of course the overriding votes Kamala Harris, okay? So it was struck down. So there are no religious protections now for churches, adoption agencies, Quiver Ranch, whoever it is, Save Life, to protect us if a homosexual couple wants to join the church, wants to get married in the church or whatever. Now, they're gonna say things like, well, there you have, can't have conscious objection and you can't have your own religious beliefs and this law cannot override this. Well, here's the fly in the ointment, okay? This law allows those organizations to be sued by the individuals, okay? So let's just say a homosexual couple comes here and wants to join the church and we deny them membership to the church because they are homosexual. Well, they in turn can sue the church, okay? And eventually we might win the case, but what do you think that's going to do to the church? Well, number one, it's going to cost a lot of money, right? Okay, it's not going to be cheap. Okay, and that is the whole point, It is just to slowly wear down and to change opinion and basically to get the church, even if they don't agree with it, just to stop talking about it and so they don't face lawsuits or face having their tax-exempt status taken away. Now, I know they say, well, you can't have your tax-exempt status taken away because it's not in the law. Well, listen, all laws are just subject to interpretation. So whoever is in the White House now and has a Justice Department interprets the law differently, correct? Mm -hmm. And they can interpret the law any way they want to. And guess who the IRS answers to? Well, they're supposed to answer to Congress, but they don't. Okay, so we've shifted everything the Constitution says. So churches will face scrutiny with this, and there will be an onslaught because there are a lot of lawyers who will For pro bono, defend a homosexual couple suing Northport Baptist Church or what it is. It might be a homosexual person wanting to work here and get employment here. Multiple things here that not only do we have to be wise and be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, but you just need to know what's coming and how this affects the church from a missional standpoint and where our money's spent how it affects the church from a boldness standpoint and what preachers will be willing to say because they're afraid of consequences. And, uh, I know we say, well, it's easy. Just stand on the word of God and do that. Well, I understand that. And I'll do that. I promise you I'll do that. But there are other pastors who struggle from a family perspective. Well, what if I go to jail? What's going to happen with my family? I mean, these are not easy questions. And, I'm just telling you, this opens the door and this this law changes everything from a church perspective. And if you want to understand when I talk about persecution coming to the church, in America, this is how persecution will come to the church. It will be through the homosexual agenda. And the reason is because homosexuality is demonic. It's definitely demonic. That's the whole backdrop to it. It's demonic and I can prove that easily, but that's what happens. So this is going to change a lot of things for the church in America, okay? And so how they've done this, just so you understand this, how they've equated this and done this, the law yesterday, they also tagged with it interracial marriage. Okay, has anybody, I don't know, in the last 50 at least years, said anything about interracial marriage, or has anybody been denied interracial marriage in America Not that I know of now, maybe somewhere, somehow. But it ain't even an issue, correct? Right. Now, I understand in the 50s or whenever, 75 years ago, you would have some issues, but you still could get married. It wasn't against the law for an interracial couple to get married, correct? Okay, well, guess what they tagged with this yesterday? It is the respect of marriage for homosexuals and those who are interracial. Now, why do you think they did that? Here's why they did this. Because they have equated homosexuality with race. Okay? Now, why would you equate homosexuality with race? Because Because what? It's natural. Race, you're born. Yeah, I mean, if I'm black, if I'm white, guess what? Pretty hard for me to change that, right? (laughs) Now, I can do some things externally to change that, but does it really change anything? No. No, it doesn't matter. I mean... Whatever race I'm born, I'm born, correct? Okay, so equating homosexuality with that equates homosexuality with race. I'm born that way. I can't change that. This is not a sin. This is who I am. This is the way God made me. Do you see just the subtleness of that? And even what it does, fishing down to the church. And you already have people in the church and not Southern Baptist domination, but other dominations that proclaim that and preach that. And you have a split in the Methodist church right now because of that. And so the Methodist church right now used to be the third largest religious group in America, but not now because they split. Okay? And so it all goes back to all of this, no matter what you say, all of this goes back to destroying God's plan and God's work to save the lost. And this is how it's done. And the problem is, as followers of Christ, as Americans, we just sit back and watch and do nothing about it. Correct? Okay. Well, this is what you got. Okay, so just know what's coming and know where this is going to lead for the church in America. This is going to lead to persecution. And again, I'm a fan of persecution. I think it's good for the church. Now, it ain't good for me. And it ain't easy. But it always propels forward what God intended in the beginning, which is the spread of the gospel. That's what we read about in the book of Acts. And I know you don't believe me, but God is going to do again exactly what he did then. And under persecution, the church is going to be persecution, and we are going to be scattered. And I hope by God that we preach the gospel everywhere we go, Acts 8-4. And if we do... Then Matthew twenty four fourteen will be fulfilled and Jesus Christ can come, and I really want Him to come quickly. Okay. I pray that prayer to Revelation a lot now. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly, because you're about to see all the things we've been talking about the last three, four, or five years with Revelation and what Jesus said about the end times and the Book of Acts. All of this is about to start coming to fruition, and if you can't see it. You might want to open your eyes and read the Bible more and go study Romans 1 a good bit (laughs) and see what happens to a nation, to a people, to a group that God abandons and where it leads. I mean, right now in America, like it or not, the next sin, the next step, they're normalizing pedophilia. I mean, it's happening. I mean, this is not even, I mean, I cannot believe the things I'm seeing with kids and transsexuals and all this garbage. They're normalizing pedophilia. And you already have institutions saying it's normal from a college perspective. And that's who's teaching our kids, the next generation. And then guess what they do? They go teach the kids because they're our teachers and whatever else. It is in insane. It's insane. But people are nuts because God's let them go and he's let them go to themselves. And they're going to get what they want. Their hearts desire and it's not good. It's not good. Did you say that bill did pass? It passed the Senate, which was the only place it's going to hold up because the House had already passed it. has to go back to the House now because there was that amendment added, which did nothing. But they will re-vote on it. Then it will go to Biden to sign before the next Congress comes in because the next Congress would not vote for it. So this is lame duck session. Do so you know what a lame duck session of Congress is? After the election, they get pushed through whatever they want pushed through. And so... Well, no, it was more than that, because here's what had to happen. This is again, it's a lie, it's a gimmick. They're a bunch of sleazy scumbags, most of them. Yeah. Okay, you had 12 senators, that Republican senators, that voted for it not to be able to be filibustered, which would have killed the bill. And then when they actually voted for the bill, they didn't vote for it. So they voted for it, but they can go back and say, well, I didn't vote for that bill. You are a lying sack of garbage. And I would like to tell them to their face. I would love to tell them to their face that. It's a gimmick. It's a game. It's a shell game. So they did vote for it. 12 of them, 12 Republican senators voted for it. Who are they? Well, I don't have their name. You can look it up. I mean... I can give you a lot of them, but you can probably name all of them. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so, uh, Romney, which is amazing, and the Mormon Church, which, of course, I don't believe the Mormon Church, they're a cult, but they at least always stood for morality. The Mormon Church themselves came out for this bill to give him cover so he could vote for it. So they proposed or promoted this bill as good last week, right before Thanksgiving. And so, uh, but it was Murkowski, it was Romney. It was Lindsey Graham? Uh, no, Lindsey Graham did not vote for it. But there was twelve of them that did it. And again, they didn't vote for the law, but they voted that it would oh. go out so that it would not be filibustered. And so, it's a shell game. It's a lie. They're a bunch of liars. They're all liars. And you can't fix it. I mean, so please understand, you cannot fix this through voting. You cannot fix this through the political process, because none of this is political. This is morality, and the only thing the church should be doing is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the only thing that can change people's hearts and minds, and can change their view of sin. But the church for so long hasn't done that. We've preached morality rather than preaching Jesus, and this is what morality brings. Morality can change. It can shift without Jesus and without God's Word. So you don't want morality. You want Jesus. And so the church better get back to preaching Jesus and the gospel and not be hung up in all this other garbage. So, uh, so just, I mean, so, you know, from our perspective here, the very first of the year we will be voting on three additions to our bylaws just to help legally protect us a little bit, <laughs> putting things in our bylaws that if we are sued, we can say, well, this is what we stand. We have them in our documents. This is what they are. And so... Um, And so we are part of a group that helps the Alliance Defending Freedom, a group of lawyers that uh, helps churches and organizations. They're the organization that is basically, you know, the guy from Colorado that got sued many years ago now for not baking a cake for a homosexual wedding. They've defended him for free for the three lawsuits he's gone through right now. So, uh, So pray for that group, the Alliance Defending Freedom. It's a group of lawyers around the country that, are believers and do work for believers and uh, help those and if they can't pay for it, they don't charge them. So that's a important group.'ll we'll become a more important group in America for sure. Okay. So pray for that group of just from a legal perspective that God would use them to help protect the church so we can do what we're called to do. So I just wanted to yeah Dennis. It's learned, uh, Christians are now a minority. In Great Britain. Well, they're a minority here. I mean, don't, don't you think that they're not a minority here. Right. Because here's the thing, anybody can call themselves a Christian. <laughs> uh, Christianity here, if you want to know, and we're about to see who the true believers are, by the way. It ain't going to take long with persecution. But, I mean, Christianity in America is well below 20%. People can say what they want to, but true followers of Christ, well below 20% in America. So, it with numbers of Islamics and Hindus and so yeah, but that's, that's all a gimmick. That's all a gimmick because anybody can say they are what they are. Even from an Islamic perspective, if you're born Islam, you're Islam. If you're born Christian, you're born a Christian. So don't look at things like that. Yeah, it's superficial. It is very superficial, but uh, yeah, we're a vast minority in America and we're becoming very quickly a lower minority. When you're Kids, 70 million of them, by the way, when less than 3% of them are followers of Christ, you're in trouble. And I've told you that all the time because who gets saved? Kids are the ones that get saved. And so we're quickly going there. And just going back to the marriage, whatever the garbage, this summer, do you know how many Americans, the percentage of Americans overall, not the church, but overall agree with homosexual marriage? 70. 71%. Okay, so that's why this bill passes and you don't see anything. And that's why you can't go read about this on Fox News. I looked this morning. Fox News didn't say one stinking thing about this bill. Why do you think that? Because they don't want the backlash. You know, NPR did. But they yeah. also said that those protections for, yeah. for churches and conscience. Sure, they lie. Yeah, they said that they, they would it. It's horse crap. It's a lie, a ball faced lie. The amendment yesterday would have protected conscience and freedom. It was voted down. So it's a lie. It's all a lie. So don't. Again, you cannot trust the government. Any of them. Don't trust them. Or no. the news. You definitely can't trust news media. Do not trust that. And so you've got to filter everything you hear with truth. What is truth? This is truth. You have to filter it with truth. And that's why you need to know the Bible. You got to know it. And so it's a sad day in which we live, but guess what? Most believers around the world have been facing this their whole life. Well, and this so, go back to the state and at each state. No, it's federal law. So every state has... This overrides state law, yeah. It's federal law. Yep. So it does. So just wanted you to know from a church perspective what's coming and what churches need to do and we'll start having to do to try to protect as much as we can as long as we can but it's such a rapid pace i mean we're taking a bucket trying to save the titanic so i mean that's just where we are so but again persecution's good so i'll show you why so look to acts chapter 10 And I tell you all the time that the book of Acts, to me, is kind of the knot that ties the whole Bible together because you see clearly not only God's plan, but you see what He's done, what He's doing, what He's going to do. (laughs) So I just want to show you some of that today, and so let me just read this. Y'all don't turn there, but before we get to Acts 10, you need to understand this verse in light of Acts 10 and this goes back to Jesus talking about the last days and what it will be like just before he comes. And here, I'll, just, I'll read you a section of it, not just the verse, but this is Matthew 24. Just listen. Jesus says, and he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to you and me. He's talking to his followers. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, killed. You will be hated all over the world, and do you know Why? because you are my followers. That's it. You're going to be hated because you follow me. That's it. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Now, who do you think that's talking about? It's talking about those in the church who were never a part of me, who were never true followers of Christ. Okay, that's coming. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Boy, just... Turn on the TV, the internet, buy a book. There are many false prophets, and many of them are preaching in pulpits and churches, many false prophets. Sin will be rampant everywhere. That's an understatement. And the love of many will grow cold. That's the church, by the way. The love of many will grow cold. Go read Revelation. What does he talk about? But one, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, this is the verse, verse 14, Matthew 24, 14. And the good news about the kingdom of God will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So what has to happen, according to Jesus, before the end will come, which means the return of Christ, what has to happen? Person. The preaching of the gospel to all nations. Now, it will happen through persecution, but the preaching to all nations. All nations. Okay? Now, here's a question as we go back to the book of Acts Was Matthew 24 14 possible before Acts 9, before Acts 10? Was it possible? Okay? why was it not possible? Yeah, what, what did the early church believe? And when I say the early church, I'm talking about those 120 who later became close to 100,000 in just a few months, probably six to eight months, something like that. Okay, before Acts chapter 8, what did they believe by their actions, by the way? By their actions, what did they believe? I Jesus was coming back. Well, they thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, but they also thought the gospel was for who? For the, Jews. Jews. Yeah, the gospel is for Jews. Now, how do we know that? Okay, well, we know what Jesus says in Acts 1 8. Okay? When the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses where? <coughs> Jerusalem, Judea, Judea oh. Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay. That's what he said. But how did the early church live? And what did the early church do? They received the Holy Spirit. They received power. We've been reading about that. And guess what? They shared the gospel. But they didn't leave Jerusalem, did they? They stayed right there. And who lived in Jerusalem? Jews and Jews from all the world were coming to Jerusalem because they would come all the time for celebrations, for feasts, for Passovers, for festivals. And what would the early church do? Did they neglect them? Buddy, they shared the gospel with them, right? Even priests. Many priests were saved too. We read that in the book of Acts. But did they get out of Jerusalem? Nope. Not Not until what had to happen. They had to be scattered. Not that they scattered themselves. They had to be scattered. So it goes back again to Matthew 13, the parable of the soils. God threw them out. And he threw them out on different soils. Now, where did Philip go? Did he go to a hard, rocky place? No. Philip went to a place that was fertile, buddy. And when he shared the gospel, what happened? There was a harvest. I mean, that was Samaria. Okay, now, do you think this changed some opinions of the people in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem? You better believe it. Do you know who they hated worse than anybody on this earth? Samaritans. Samaritans. I mean, they were racist. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, you go to Israel, Jews are racist, big time big time. And they were racist 2,000 years ago. And they hated the Samaritans. They were half breeds. They were half Jew and they were half whatever else. They hated them. But where did the gospel go? Where Jesus said it would go, correct? He said it would go there. And it went there. And it sprouted up fertily and blew up. And then what happens next in Acts chapter 9? There was a dude going to destroy the church. His name was Saul. He was pulling people out of homes, throwing them into jail, killing people like Stephen. But what did God do? Radically saved him and he saved him for a purpose. And what was that purpose? To take the gospel where? To the Gentiles. And guess what happens in Acts chapter 10? Probably one of the most racist people we got. Peter. According to the book of Galatians. And it didn't change his mind what's going to happen in Acts 10. It changed it a little bit, but he went back to his old ways. We have God showing you how Matthew twenty four fourteen is possible and his plan to make it possible. And he has to show a man named Peter. Okay? Now, before we read Acts 10, I want you to look at the last verse here. In Acts chapter 9. Because to me, I mean, it might not be interesting to you, but it's interesting, and I think it's important biblically. Okay, look at verse 43. It says, And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon a tanner of hides. Okay, now, where is he living? Okay. Now, I want you to think back biblically. Where else have we seen Joppa in the Bible? I've with Jonah. Okay, Jonah. Okay. Somebody's name that starts with a J. But Jonah, in the very first part of Jonah chapter 1, God comes to a man, a prophet. Jonah's a prophet. We know that from the Bible. The Bible tells us that in other places. Jonah was a prophet. God comes to this prophet of God, this man of God, and says... Jonah, I got a message for you. Jonah's, yes, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Tell me what to say. I'm going to say it. He says, go to Nineveh and preach my judgment against that city. Anything but that, God. And so the Bible literally says Jonah did what? He went the opposite direction. And where did he go? He went to the port of Joppa. Okay, now why would this man, this prophet, not go to the city of Nineveh? He He hated them. Now, I mean, we don't see this in the beginning of Jonah chapter 1, but later on in Jonah, we figure it out. Because at the end of Jonah, this is what Jonah says to God I knew you would save them, I knew you would do it, that's why I wasn't going to go tell them about you. And he sits down and sulks under a tree angry. Why? He hated those people, right? He hated them. And what did God have to do to him to even get him to go there in the first place? Well, a lot if you read Jonah, (laughs) but he went, he finally did what he was had to. I don't think he did it on his own will, but he didn't go because he hated those people. Okay. Now fast forward many, many centuries. Who's in this same seaport? A man named Peter, man of God. You know what Peter had just done in Acts chapter nine? He had just raised somebody from the dead. He had just told a lame man to stand up and walk. And guess what he did? He walked. And look what happened in verse 42, just before this. The news spread through the whole town and many believed in the Lord. So the news about him raising Dorcas from the dead spread through the whole town. And many people believed. And so Peter just thought, I'm going to stay in Joppa for a while. But God had another plan. Okay, so look to Acts 10 so we can see the plan. Okay, in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer. Okay, now if you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever seen an Israeli map, Caesarea is not that far from Joppa. They're both on the Mediterranean and they're pretty in close proximity anyway, just from a mileage perspective. Now, Caesarea was definitely a Roman city because Caesarea was built by Herod the Great, and I mean, it was an incredible city. It had an incredible man-made harbor seaport. Now think about that. I said man-made harbor. Now this is not in the day where we have all the excavation equipment and equipment we can build with. This is in Jesus's day. Now think about what it would be like to build a harbor and how much labor that would take, how much money that would take in Jesus' day. But Herod the Great did it. And I mean, it was an opulent city. It had uh, all kinds of things. It had like a small Colosseum circus where they did chariot races. Anybody seen Ben-Hur? Somebody seen Ben-Hur, right? Okay, they had things like that where they would do chariot races. They had an arena, a Colosseum, a circus, they would call it. And they would do things. I mean, it was an incredible city, okay? So there was a man who lived there named Cornelius, an army officer. Now, look at who he was. He was a captain of who? The Italian regiment. Okay? Now, why is that important? Well, where's Rome located? Okay. So, do you think the captain or the officer over the Italian regiment would be important? Oh well, Yeah, Yeah, probably so. so. Okay, he... He was an important dude. I'm just telling you, Cornelius was an important guy, and he probably commanded thousands of troops. We don't know how many, but he was a he was a big deal. Okay, so he's an Italian, officer of the Italian regiment. But the verse two tells us about him personally and spiritually. He was a devout, God fearing man, as everyone in his household was. He gave generously to the poor. And prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming forward to him. Okay, now just before we read what the angel says here, now again, Cornelius is not a Jew, right? Because a Jew would not be the commanding officer of the Italian regiment. He is probably Roman. He's from Rome, more than likely, but he's a Roman officer. He's very important, and he is a God-fearing man. Now, what does that mean? Well, not necessarily. We don't know what it means, but you've got to think about what it means from a Roman perspective. How many gods did they serve? How many gods did they worship? Plural. A lot We don't know, I mean, gazillions of them, right? Anything could pretty much be a God. Caesar was God, okay? I mean, every year at tax time, do you know what every Roman citizen had to do? When they paid their taxes, they had to also proclaim Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God. Why do you think Christians would get into trouble? Who was their Lord? Christ Jesus was their Lord. They would not make that proclamation. That's why they were treasonous. That's why they were arrested. That's why they were. That law was used to do all the things they did to the church from a Roman perspective. Okay, so we don't know whom he feared from a God fearing perspective. Now he lives in Caesarea, so he lives in Israel, right? So has he heard about the God of the Jews? Yeah. Okay. Now in your Bible, when it talks about that he prayed, it has a big G there for God. It doesn't say gods. So he might be praying to the God of the Jews here. He might be praying to the Lord God, but do you really think he knows what he's doing, what he's praying? But is he seeking the Lord? Heck yeah, he is. I mean, he gives to the poor. So he's doing things to try to be right with God, right? He prays, and not only that, he leads his household to do it, his entire household. So he's trying to do the right thing. Now here's a question for you. Is that enough? In God's eyes, is that enough if a person genuinely is seeking God, the true God, if they're genuinely seeking Him, they're giving to the poor, they're trying to lead the best they can in their household to find God. Is that enough? No. But God says that if you're seeking me with all your heart, then he will reveal himself. He will find where does it say that? I don't know. Well, let's keep going.
1: <laughs> That's what it said.
0: Where? I promise you. Where? I just don't know where. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's in here. I know. I'm just messing. I like messing with you. (laughs) Uh, But, okay, so one day Cornelius is praying. He's praying, and an angel of the Lord comes and says, Cornelius, and this is what happened to Cornelius, verse 4. Cornelius stared at him in terror. Now, why is he afraid? Because this angel's glowing, he's radiant, he's from God. He says, what is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Okay, now here's a good verse to talk about for just a second. It's going to take us a while to get through ten, but okay. <laughs> okay, now let's talk about prayer for a minute because Cornelius at this point has no idea about Jesus Christ. He has not been saved. He has not been made holy. He has not been made righteous. Okay, but he prays. Okay, what prayers do God hear, does God hear from lost people? Repentant heart. He definitely hears a repentant heart because it's for salvation. Don't you think he would hear from those that are seeking him mm-hmm. and wanting to know yeah. Uh, him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, that's the only prayer he hears. That's yeah. the key. What does she say? Someone that's seeking him with a sincere heart. Okay, now, what does the Bible tell us about prayers and what happens if you have a simple heart and you pray? Book of Isaiah, Isaiah 55. He, he ain't listening. Lord, I'm yeah. a sinner, forgive He's not listening. Okay, so if you don't have Christ Jesus, do you have a sinful heart? Yes. 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 Okay. John, so, that, what she said. Did you say that was... Yeah, and I'm gonna go to that. Yeah. I believe, personally... The prayers that God hears from the lost are only those prayers for salvation, or those prayers for those who are truly seeking Him and trying to find Him. So let's just say I'm a lost person, and June's phone goes off, and I pray (laughs) for June to mute her phone before she comes in to Bible study. I I pray, well, why are you answering that? Tell him not to call her in Bible study. (laughs) But okay, if I'm a lost person and I'm praying for whatever, let's say my daughter is sick and I don't want her to be sick and I'm praying for her healing. Now, does God heal her because of my prayers? Now, God might heal her if that's God's plan for her and he's got something else to do. But is God healing her because I'm a lost person praying for that? Now, this is a fine line because you have lost people that would come to Jesus and their children were sick. And what would Jesus do? He would go heal them, right? But that was a physical presence of God, not from a spiritual perspective. So again, I mean, you answer the question for me. Do you think God hears the prayers of lost people? I mean, he hears them, but answers them. I guess is a better way to say it. I mean, the Bible says he hears them and doesn't listen to them. Possibly. I think the only prayer God listens to for a lost person is those for salvation or those who are seeking Him. That's Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, by the way. It, Thank you. Yeah. But it. Right. going to be there to tell. It. Well, that's the next point. I mean, that's where we're about to get into. But God answers the prayer of lost people if they're seeking Him. Yeah. I think that, like it said, that he will, he will reveal Himself. Revelation, seeking, there's a difference between that and just whatever prayer you're praying. And you'll have, probably have people argue with that. But I'm pretty sure about this one, <laughs> okay? That's the prayers that God hears from the lost person. Now, for a believer totally different. What does God do with the prayers of saints? He keeps them before him day and night. Okay. They're like incense going before him. God works through prayers even before we pray them. I mean, all kinds of things. Believer, this is, I'm not talking about believers. I'm talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about the lost. Okay. But I'm telling you, a person seeking God with all his heart, God is going to answer the prayer and he does it here because what does God do? He sends an angel, a messenger. That's what an angel is, just a messenger of God. And his reply, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. And then verse five. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier, and one of his personal assistants, and he told them what had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Okay, now we get to Peter here in verse nine. And so when all this is happening, probably about the same time this is happening, this is what's happening to Peter. So like movies, you know they have cutaways and they go to different scenes. We're just going to a different scene in the movie here. Okay, and this is the same time. This is what's happening to Peter, and this goes back to Matthew 24, 14. Okay? The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. Now, why does it say that? Why does it just say the roof? I don't know. But, you know, that's how all roofs were in Jerusalem. They were flat. Because it was just an extension of the house. But this is important, like, when they lowered the man down at Jesus' feet, that would have been a flat roof, and they would have had to dug through a flat roof, and they would have stood there on a flat roof lowering him down. That's just the way everything was in Jerusalem and in the Middle East at that time. Still is today, actually. It was about noon when this happened, and Peter was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And then the voice said to him, "Get up, Peter, and kill and eat them." No Lord," Peter declared, "I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have not, have declared impure or unclean." Now think about the arrogance of this statement. No, Lord. I mean, think about the arrogance) Okay, Look, keep going. Verse 15, but the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated how many times? The then the sheep was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Now think about Peter here and you're going to see his arrogance later on in this story. We probably won't get to it today. But Peter was an arrogant cuss, okay? And Peter was self-righteous. And you're going to see how Peter pats himself on the back in just a minute. Because what is Peter doing? He's upholding the laws of the Lord. And what happens if you uphold the laws of the Lord in in Judaism? That's what makes you righteous, right? And so does Peter have it figured out at this point? Now, he never figures it out, by the way, but he does not have it figured out at this point. And God has to tell him this three times. Now, who else had to tell Peter something three times? Jesus. Okay, Jesus, after the resurrection, Peter tells it out of Jerusalem. I'm gone, I'm done, I'm going back to my old life, my old fishing job. And he goes back to the Sea of Galilee and he's fishing. And one day, who does he see on the seashore? Oh, Jesus himself went after him. And Jesus had prepared a meal for them and he was cooking fish on the seashore for breakfast. And Peter comes out and he talks to Peter and he asked him three times one question. Peter, do you love me? Then what does he say three times? Yes, Lord. But what does Jesus say after that? Then feed my sheep. Now, who are Jesus' sheep? Are they just Jews? No. Nope. The nations, the world, Matthew twenty four fourteen. But Peter didn't believe that. Not at the point Jesus told him that. He still don't believe it in Acts 10. Even though he had been to Samaria and saw, well, those people truly are saved. But just what time is it? I don't have long. We'll read just a couple more verses. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then... The men sent by Cornelius found Simon the Tanner's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry for I have sent them. Okay, now, why did the Holy Spirit have to tell Peter that? Do you think Peter was going to do it without the command of God, the voice of God telling him? No. no. You know why? They were Gentiles. They were Gentiles. Yeah. And Peter even says it later on in the story. He says, as he gets to Cornelius' house, we'll look at it next week, but Peter says this, and he's being arrogant again, by the way. He says, our law says I can't even come into the house of a Gentile, but I'm doing it because God told me to. Well, number one, does their law say that? No, no it doesn't say that. That's a made-up law. But Peter was doing what? He was abiding by the law. Even though it wasn't the law of God, it was the law of man. He was patting himself, was patting himself boasting himself up. Because he's racist, he looks down on another group of people. The Gentiles, you and me, by the way. Yeah. I mean, because he thinks from a Jewish perspective, he is God's chosen that's who the gospel's for, and they proved it early on, and so God is changing their whole perspective, and I'm just telling you, this is an important chapter for us, so we'll keep looking at it next week, but just read it, and read especially what happens at the end of this with the Holy Spirit, because we're going to talk about that a lot, because that's important for us today, but thank God He has a plan for the nations, amen? Because guess what? In Acts chapter 10, who were the nations? You and I were the nations because the gospel had to come to us and thank God he did it through Christ Jesus. Let me pray and we'll go. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next week as Pastor John continues the study. And if you're looking for more, find us at northportbaptist.org.